Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Turquoise Hill Resources fourth quarter 2020 results. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you need assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on Wednesday, March 9, 2020. I would now like to turn the conference over to Roy McDowell, Head of Investor Relations and Communications. Please go ahead. Thank you, Joanna. Good morning. I'm Roy McDowell, Head of Investor Relations and Communications. Welcome to our fourth quarter and year-end 2020 financial results conference call. On Monday, we released our fourth quarter and year-end 2020 results press release, MD&A and financial statements. These items are available on our website and CDAR. With me today on the call is Steve Thibault, our interim CEO, Luke Colton, our CFO, and Joanne Dudley, our COO. This call and presentation includes certain forward-looking statements and information. We refer you to the forward-looking statement section of the annual information form dated March 8, 2021, supplemented by our MD&A for the 12 months ended December 31st, 2020. Before I hand over the call, I would like to formally introduce Steve Thibault, who was appointed interim CEO of Turquoise Hill last Thursday. Many of you on the call know Steve from his tenure as a CFO at Turquoise Hill, from 2014 to 2017. In addition to being TRQ's CFO, Steve was also on the Oyotogo board and has been to site in Mongolia multiple times. I was instrumental in securing the $4.4 billion project finance facility in 2015. You can find our presentation on our website in the financial and technical report section. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Steve. Thank you, Roy, and good morning, everyone. Uh, before going any further, I would like to take a moment to thank Ulf Quellman, who served as a CEO of Turquoise Hill for ne- nearly three years. We thank Ulf for his service and wish him well. As you know, I returned to Turquoise Hill just five days ago, and although it will take me a few weeks to fully up, uh, get up to speed, my story with TRQ has enabled me to hit the ground running and immerse myself in the key strategic objectives. First, securing funding to complete the underground development. Second, to work with the government of Mongolia and Rio Tinto to finalize a long-term power supply for Uyutogoi. And third, to update or replace the existing UDP in a matter that is mutually beneficial to all parties. I'm sure as you were aware, all of these discussions are in advanced stages and I'm joining a strong team that has continued to move these issues forward while prioritizing the interests of Turkozil shareholders. I will now walk through the year-end update as efficiently as possible, and then we'll open uh, the call for Q&A. Please note on slides two and three, they contain our cautionary statements, and I would encourage you to read, uh, to read them. On slide four, you will see 2020 uh, was a very busy year that saw the key milestone of a new mine design for panel zero, an updated Oyutogoi technical report, and finally, 
the definitive estimate that reconfirms the compelling value proposition that Olutogoi provides investors. On slide five, you will see Olutogoi 2020 operating performance, which once again has met or outperformed the original production guidance we set in the beginning of the year. Of note, USOQ4 was a very strong quarter for gold production, and now looking at our 2021 gold forecast, of 500 to 550,000 ounces, you can appreciate how this will contribute to our 2021 estimated C1 copper cash cost of negative 50 to 80 cents per pound of copper produced. 2021 is set to be a great year for Olutogoi. Slide six, I like Olutogoi safety records and continue above nameplate capacity performance of the mill. The all-injury frequency rate has fallen to a new record of 0.15. And although we encountered more harder ore with our grade gold in 2020, on average, we continue to operate the mill at above nameplate capacity. On slide seven, slide seven is extremely important as it demonstrates all you to go commitment to operate in an ESG compliant manner. Operating in the Gobi Desert provides the additional challenge of water scarcity, and you will see from this slide that our operation uses only approximately one-third of the global average of cubic meter of water per ton of ore process. In 2020, Olutogoi was awarded the copper mark. Created in 2019, the copper mark is the first and only program for responsible production in the copper industry. The Copper Mark took the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals as its framework for responsible production and created a set of 32 environmental, social, and governance issue area associated with sourcing minerals and metal. By meeting these criteria, Olutogoi has again proven its continued commitment to environmental standards. With that, I will now hand the call over to Joanne Dudley, our Chief Operating Officer. Thank you very much, Steve. On slide eight, you can see the OU open pit on the left-hand side and the Hugo Northwest One underground development on the right-hand side. Combined, these two bodies have an estimated 31-year life of mine and are the basis of the 2020 reserves update in the annual information form. The definitive estimate completed in December 2020 includes finalised pillar locations on the panel zero boundary and an optimised draw point layout to minimise exposure to the lower fault. This resulted in a non-material increase in the Hugo North mineral reserves of 10 million tonnes of ore, 0.18 million tonnes contained copper, and 0.07 million ounces contain gold. The underground ore reserve has an average copper grade of 1.52%, which is more than three times higher than the open pit ore reserve and contains 0.31 grams of gold per tonne. The Oyut's proven and probable mineral reserves are estimated at 3.3 million tonnes of contained copper and 7.2 million ounces of contained gold. 
The end of year reserves update incorporates a decrease of 41 million tonnes of ore from 2019, which includes depletion from mining, change due to new metal price assumptions, and change due to new slope design criteria. The largest positive change in the 2020 OU Open Pit Mineral Reserves was the inclusion of a new slope design criteria. Although positive, it was not enough to displace depletion from mining. If we turn to slide nine, Materials Handling System 1 progress continues with civil work complete on Primary Crusher 1 and steel and cable installation continuing. First sustainable production for Panel Zero in October 2022 is on track, but continues to be monitored. Overall, the underground lateral development has now reached 53,000 equivalent metres, with developments acquired before first drill bell substantially complete. All surface infrastructure required for sustainable first production is also now complete. With the assistance of vendor representatives on site, installation and commissioning of thinking related equipment continues in Shark 3. In Q4 2020, activities at Shark 4 were focused on completing all construction and commissioning activities for load testing and verification in preparation for shaft thinking, which commenced in early February 2021. However, progress is being monitored, particularly for Panel 1 and Panel 2 ramp up with Shaft 3 and 4 support, and will communicate any implications at an appropriate time. The commencement of the undercut in 2021 is a key milestone, and it is critical to ensure that once commenced, the undercut and drawpoint construction continues unimpeded. This will require both technical support, such as confidence in commissioning dates for materials handling system, as well as the achievement of non-technical criteria. We're working with OU Tolboy and other stakeholders to ensure that critical supporting aspects for a successful project are in place prior to commencing the undercut. Several mining studies are in progress and are focused on the evaluation of different design and sequencing options for panel one and two. These studies are underpinned by additional geology and geotechnical data that is being collected from underground and surface drilling. A design update for a subset of panel two is expected in half two, 2021. With that, I'll now hand the call over to Luke Colton our Chief Financial Officer. Thanks, Joanne, and good morning, everyone. If I could ask you to please turn to slide 10, and I'll provide a summary of our key financial metrics for Q4 and full year 2020. Revenue for Q4 2020 increased 83% from Q4 2019, and that's driven by increases in both copper and gold production and price. For full year 2020, revenue decreased 7.5% versus 2019, reflecting overall lower gold production, partially offset by 27% higher average gold prices and marginal increases in both copper production and average copper prices by 2% and 3% respectively. The lower gold production was caused from mining lower grade gold areas of the open pit through the majority of 2020. 2020 cash generated from operating activities before interest in tax was 9% higher than in 2019 
and that's due to favorable working capital movements, partially offset by the decrease in revenue. Lower gold credits in 2020 was the main reason for the increases for the increase in the unit cost basis for C1 cash costs. The unit cost basis for all-in sustaining costs was also impacted by the lower gold credits. However, this was more than offset by lower open pit sustaining capital expenditure. I could ask you to please turn to slide 11. You'll see that Turquoise still had liquidity of 1.1 billion at the 31st of December 2020, uh, which is expected to be sufficient to meet um, our requirements, including continued underground development into Q3 of 2022. This has improved from our previous estimate of Q2 2022, and that's driven largely by improved commodity price assumptions. The base case incremental funding requirement at the 31st of December 2020 is estimated to be 2.3 billion, and that's down from the 3 billion reported previously. This improvement is driven primarily by improved commodity price assumptions over the peak funding period. The incremental funding requirement includes the current project finance debt service and related costs, as well as principal repayments and, therefore, is estimated before any additional supplemental senior debt or reprofiling of existing debt is considered. As per the MOU signed between Turquoise Hill and Rio Tinto in September 2020, both parties support the pur pursuit of reprofiling OT's existing debt, as well as securing an additional $500 million of supplemental senior debt. Reprofiling of the existing principal repayments would decrease the company's incremental funding requirement by up to $1.4 billion. Our liquidity outlook and estimated incremental funding requirement will continue to be impacted, either positively or negatively, by various factors, many of which are outside the company's control. The company continues to advance financing options to minimize its incremental funding requirement, as announced on the 22nd of December 2020, Turquoise Hill completed the first phase of its comprehensive funding review process, and we continue discussions with Rio on these options in the context of the company's funding strategy. Any of the options, if implemented, would have the effect of reducing the company's incremental funding requirement. Successful imp implementation of such options may, re may require us to achieve alignment and agreement with the relevant stakeholders including Rio, existing lenders, potential new lenders, as well as the government of Mongolia. Finally, in Q1 2021, the company purchased copper and gold put options to establish a synthetic copper and gold price floor. This was done to provide increased certainty around the company's liquidity horizon. Uh, thank you very much. I'll now turn the presentation back to Steve. Thank you, Luke. I'm going to use the key milestone outline on slide 12 to provide an overview of what we are working through in 2021 to keep us on track for the first sustainable production in October 2022. The first milestone I will address is power. As you know, we had the first power milestone, the extension of the IMPC supply agreement due on March 1st, 2021, and the second milestone the signing of a power purchase agreement due March 31st. On March 25th, the government of Mongolia formally noticed Olitogoi that the Devantogoi power station project will be implemented. And we have, and have requested 
the milestone date under the PSFA agreement be extended. Olutogoy are currently engaged with the government of Mongolia to agree to a standstill period following the lapse of the March 1st uh, milestone and will continue to work with GAN to ensure a secure, stable, and reliable long-term power solution is implemented. The second milestone we are focused on is the arbitration with Rio Tinto and resolving the forecast funding gap. As we stated on previous calls, the arbitration proceedings have commenced in British Columbia and we are bound by confidentiality agreements that prohibit us to comment on the arbitration proceedings until a binding decision is reached. At this time, we expect the arbitration proceedings to conclude in May. On the funding front, as Luke outlined earlier, our base case funding gap as at 31st December 2020 is 2.3 billion. We have evaluated and presented financing option to Rio Tinto and Urderness and are currently in discussion to finalize a funding solution that takes into consideration the forecast requirements of the underground project with the objective of maximizing debt and minimizing a right offering. The Olutogoy independent review of the costs and scheduled delays continue to advance, and as with the arbitration, we will not be in a position to comment on the findings until after the review is completed. As most of you on the call are aware, the key milestone of 2021 is the undercut blasting, currently scheduled for June 2021. Once commenced, the undercut and draw point construction continues unimpeded. Turcotel is engaged with Rio Tinto and Erdenes to address and agree on the undercut milestone with the joint objective of preserving the timeline for the project completion. I would like to thank you all for taking the time to join uh, our conference call, and I would now like to turn the call back to the operator for any questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. First question comes from Orest Wakadel at Scotiabank. Please go ahead. One moment, please. Uh, liquidity gap estimation, the $2.3 billion, um, that's mm -hmm. down from $3 billion in the third quarter. Can you talk about how much of that $700 million decrease is strictly attributable to higher commodity pricing? And then secondly, what's the assumed minimum cash balance in this assumption? Okay. Um, Luke, can you handle that uh, question, please? Yes, of course. Thank, thank you for the question. Um, in terms of our, our funding gap, our remaining funding gap, you're correct. It's reduced from the $3 billion down to $2.3 billion as per our, our year-end estimate. Um, you are all, you're all, I think you probably have also, you've already answered the question in asking it, but the majority, the vast majority of, the, of, of that decrease is actually 
um, related to improved um, commodity price assumptions for both copper and gold. Um, in terms of the way that 2.3 billion um, um, works, in terms of any minimum, um, you know, buffer amount at the end, um, that 2.3 is the full amount, um, you know, until we run out of cash. So, so that 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 is the full amount of the requirement. Oh, I see. So there's no minimum cash balance assumed in that. Okay. Um, and then, Steve, um, I mean, with the change here uh, in terms of ALF uh, leaving and you entering, is there any change in the way you're approaching the arbitration? Like, do you do you plan to follow that through in terms of getting an arbitration decision? The the arbitration is continuing. Okay, um, that's that's like I mentioned like I mentioned previously. The objective is really to clarify the roles of each. That was mentioned previously. And so I think that's important that we, we are proceeding and uh, I, I'm confident, not confident, I know that that will help both parties to be into NTRQ to have a better understanding of the rules. And so we're proceeding. You're proceeding, okay. And then finally, is coming back to the financing again, um, is a, a, a non-dilutive streaming transaction still an option that's being considered or is that now off the table? Luke, you want to uh, provide the detail? Yeah, no, of course. Um, so it, listen, it's a good question. And um, let me just start by, I guess, reiterating um, our funding strategy. And it is, based, it, you know, the fact that it is based obviously on some, some basic principles and, and that's really finding the best cost of capital uh, balanced with the need to ensure efficiency and stability in how we fund. Um, careful and thorough consideration by the board and the special committee of the relevant merits of the various sources of debt and equity, and finding alignment um, with the relevant stakeholders. Um, and and you know once once the board and special special committee are happy, um, we have made significant prog progress in on stabilizing and enhancing our financial situation this quarter. And as I've already talked about, that's driven by an extension of our liquidity and our hedging program. Um, in management, we are obviously working under the supervision of the special committee, and we remain committed to ensuring that, you know, the relevant negotiations continue with a view to arriving at a funding plan that is in the best interest of the company. Um, and in terms of the options that have been looked at, there, there really isn't um, any change from what we've communicated in prior quarters. So, so we continue, you know, we, 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 we've looked at, um, Obviously, the, the options that are summarized in the MOU, um, which include reprofiling, additional supplemental senior debt, um, a global medium-term note program, and of course, we've, we've, we've done a lot of work around the streaming as well, as you indicated. Thank you very much. Thanks, Elris. Thank you. The next question comes from Dalton Barreto at Canaccord. Please go ahead. Hi, right, thank you. Good morning, guys. Um, a couple more questions on the funding side of things. Um, so first question, 2.3 billion funding gap, you know, that's based on the 6.75 billion as far as I can see. Are you going to seek incremental liquidity to cover a potential overrun up to your 15% sensitivity? 
Okay, good question. Uh, I mean, guys, you will understand after five days, I'm not around all the question around funding and, and that detail. So Luke will answer all those ones. And okay. uh, Luke, you want to proceed? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Steve. Um, happy, happy to try and answer that question. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure what 15% um, is being referred to. Um, but obviously, the focus of, of management and the special committee is to secure funding that is sufficient to meet the company's reasonable requirements and to make sure that we continue, we can continue to do that, you know, into the future. And, and for that, that, that's the reason why we, we, we've investigated the various options that, that we have investigated, um, you know. In, in, in terms of that $2.3 billion number, and some of this has been stated previously, if, if, you know, if we're successful in, in achieving our reprofiling objectives, that will, that will, of course, reduce that funding gap from the $2.3 billion um, by, by $1.4 billion, so it will reduce it down to um, $900 million. Uh, we also, uh, in the MOU that was signed in September, there was, there was um, alignment that we should be seeking supplemental senior debt of 500 million. If we're able to do that, that reduces the funding gap from, you know, the 900 million down to 400 million. And from there, you know, we have, we, we've looked at various different options and I've kind of summarized what those options are already. Um, and, you know, those options, if implemented, would, would, would um, put us in a position where we could, we could fill that, that remaining um, funding gap of 400 million or, or you know potentially for the, more than that 400 million, um, and of course you know as, as a final backstop, um, you know we we can't we can't completely discount um, the possibility of an equity offering. But from from our perspective, uh, you know the the objective continues to be to maximize the sort of low cost debt financing and minimize um, you know the quantum of of any equity offering as much as possible. Okay, great. So, Luke, just to clarify, though, that 15% comes from the sensitivity that Rio put out around their definitive estimate. Um, so maybe another mm -hmm. question. The, the, the tax payments that you made in February, I think it was just over $200 million. Um, is that coming out of your current liquidity? Yeah, so the tax, the tax payments have already been made. So the um, liquidity forecast that, that I think I – um, I just discussed of into Q3 2022 incorporates the payment of those two tax invoices, which which the two together were about 230 million U.S. Right, but but your disclosure, your liquidity position as of December 31st of these payments were made in February, but you're saying the Q3 numbering assumes these payments were made. No, I'm 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 saying that on the 31st of December we had liquidity of 1.1 billion. I mean, obviously there there's been activity since then. But what I'm saying is, in terms of the number that we just put out for year end, in terms of our liquidity forecast, which is that we have liquidity into into Q3 of 2022, that forecast incorporates the payments of those two tax invoices. Right. Okay. And then just maybe switching to the undercut, and again, this is a bit of a funding question here, but the targeted date is in June, the Mongolian election is in June, you know, on the chance, you know, 
on the off chance that you guys don't wrap everything up, you know, to a level that would, is sufficient to initiate the undercut, what what are your costs associated with every month's delay? Let's say it gets delayed by three months. What's that going to cost you? Hmm. Look, you want you want to have, do you have a do you have an answer on that one? I've, that's an, yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So I don't listen. I don't think that's information. Unfortunately, I don't think that's information um, that's in the public domain. Um, what I probably can refer you to is some sensitivities that we've done in prior period financial statements um, that that indicated the impact of you know delay to to, to first sustainable production would have a, you know, we, we did a, a sort of sensitivity around that. And I believe the sensitivity was, you know, for every um, one month of delay that had a an impact on, on value or on NTV of, of about 100 million U.S. Um, so hopefully that helps to answer your question a bit. No, that, that's mm -hmm. great. That, that, that actually puts some context. And maybe just but, one but last Dalton, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, I, I would say that we, we are all aware, okay, at, at the company at OT and uh, Elderness that uh, this is this this is a key milestone, and I can tell you we have a board meeting coming in uh, pretty soon at the OT level, and uh, definitely this is uh, this is a hot topic to make sure that we're all aligned to make that decision, and uh, there are different things that are being done at the moment to align ourselves for that. Or uh, to to move ahead with that June uh, on the cup, okay? Of course. And then maybe just one last one for me. Are, are you in a position to tell us uh, what you've purchased in terms of the puts, just notional amounts, strike prices, that sort of thing? Look, you, you want to? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So again, that's unfortunately not information that we've put in in the public domain. But um, obviously, the the intent of these sort of plain vanilla put options that we've we've put in place for a, for a period of about 12 months, um, the intention of that is obviously to preserve um, our our liquidity position on, on the downside, so effectively um, protect us from sort of downside pricing. Um, maintain that liquidity position for as long as possible so that we can obviously have the time that we need to, um, you know, continue these other important work streams that are underway. And, and what, what obviously the hedging program doesn't do is, is, is cap the upside. So, you know, if prices can, you know, if the, you know, prices continue to improve for copper or, you know, if gold bounces back, then, then you know we're we're not we're not um, that doesn't put our, what what we've done doesn't put us in a negative position in terms of being able to capture that upside. Got it. Thank you, guys. Yep. Thanks. Thank you. The next question comes from Craig Hutchison at TD Securities. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, uh, Steve. Good to hear your voice again. Good morning, Craig. Just so you guys touched on the financing, you know, uh, quite a lot of detail this morning, but just in terms of the mm -hmm. sequence of events, can you walk us through how you sort of see the sequence of events unfolding? Do you have to wait until the arbitration is complete before you can work on the debt reprofiling? 
um, you know, in terms of locking up the supplemental debt with Rio Tinto. Can you maybe kind of give us some ballpark milestones in terms of how you kind of see that playing out? I, 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 will, take, I will take that one, uh, Craig. Um, I think that definitely the work has been done to understand, to understand the in in couple of couple of initial contacts where definitely we are working in the next couple of weeks and months i mean that's we're talking short term here that's when we will really engage pretty pretty uh, heavily or more heavier and definitely the arbitration will help us to redefine that we're expecting to be completed in may or following that definitely the clear the, the road will be clearer and we'll move ahead okay so i would say in your time frame you should you should count them I in between now and in June. See a lot of activities there. Okay. And is that group profile discussions going well? Like like I said, Craig, well, there was uh, there was some some discussion, um, and yeah, I would say that uh, we uh, the estimate we have a 1.4. We're quite confident. Um, is your expectation that the the new um, CEO, if, if it's not yourself, uh, will be independent, and you know the, the new board member uh, will also be independent as well? I'm not going to be able to comment on that one, but I can tell you that the board has um, started the process of uh, replacing or having a, a, a new CEO and that uh, they're definitely looking external and internal so uh, all the options are open but uh that's a decision for the board craig i will not put myself in the middle of it uh that's for them to decide but uh, they're looking at all options and let me just um an operations question you guys when you probably use 2021 guidance uh, there was some issues around geotechnical concerns and phase uh, 4B, mm. the open pit, that changed the mine design in, in 2021, 2022. Yeah. Um, are there any updates on, on how that status is going? And I think you guys mm -hmm. were anticipating providing 2022 outlook once uh, some of that work was done. So any updates okay. there yeah. would be appreciated. Craig, Joanne will answer that, uh, that question for you. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks, Steve, and thanks, uh, Craig. Uh, yes, yeah, so with respect to that um, geotechnical event, it was it was really not um, anything outside of uh, a business as usual uh, situation. These things have happened um, at the OU Token Pit in the past, and it's something that OT has dealt with uh, a number of times. Uh, there's a sophisticated monitoring system in place, as well as the sound regimes controls. Uh, the team is managing the area well um, with minor alterations to the mine design to deal with the structures of concern that led to that um, multi-bench failure in a small section of the pit. And the area um, will be mined in, in the next phase. In terms of uh, what we're seeing in terms of updated um, guidance beyond uh, 2021, the, the sequence uh, and design is... is uh, under review, uh, given the timing of the failure um, in December, it, it meant that we needed to rework the 22 plan and, and also uh, include the usual business improvement kind of uh, opportunities that were being considered. 
uh, and that work is in process. Uh, we'll come back to the market uh, as soon as we can once the work is complete. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks for taking my questions. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. The next question comes from Hayden Berstow at Macquarie. Please go ahead. Good morning, morning all, um, and late evening for you, Joanne, over in, in Brisbane. I assume that's where you are. But, um, well, a couple of questions for me. Just firstly on uh, Luke, maybe just well on this, this tax, uh, deferred tax asset that keeps sort of you know, boosting the earnings every quarter. I mean, how do we think about that going forward? I mean, it's now up to what over eight hundred million dollars. I mean, does that cover you for similar credits this year, or, or so how, do we, how do we sort of model that through? Go ahead, Luke. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks, Hayden. Good question. Um, so, listen, deferred tax, uh, deferred tax credit um, is an area, as, as you can appreciate, of, of, of estimation uncertainty and judgment, and it's impacted by many variables um, such as commodity price estimates, etc. Uh, you know, re res reserves and resource estimates, development capital estimates, mine planning scheduling, um, you know, etc. Um, broadly speaking, um, whilst the under, underground development continues until the achievement of peak production, we would anticipate additional losses to be incurred by OT, and those additional losses would be um, resulting in further deferred tax cr um, credits. So, so we, you know, up, up until that period of time where um, you know, OT has delivered the underground, and they're they're no longer running losses. We we would expect those deferred those additional deferred um, tax credits to continue to accrue. Okay, and the same goes for your capitalising interest. Is that is that right through to sustainable production or peak production? Uh, yeah. So so under our accounting policy, and it gets a little bit technical, right? But under our accounting policy. Um, borrowing costs related to construction or development of, of the underground are capitalized until the point at which substantially all the activities that are necessary to make the asset ready for its intended purpose are complete. So there's a degree of a degree of judgment there, obviously, but um, we estimate that you know at this point in time that would be approximate, approximately equivalent to sustainable first production. Okay, great. And just on the sustainable target, I'm just interested to know, I mean, the commentary in the quarterly basically implies that everything's going to be ready to go underground. Just, Joanne, said, what, what work has to be done from here to get to first draw bill, or are you basically ready to do first draw bill? Uh, and, and as a result, you know, what is the underground team actually doing between now and when you get approval to kick it off? Joanne, you want to take it? for that. Yes, sure. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Hayden, for the question. Well, well needless to say, you know, people are very busy uh, working hard underground at the mine. Uh, and uh, we're continuing to uh, complete construction of the materials handling system, which, which is on track. Uh, so there's still work, there is still work to be done. Uh, there is uh, remaining development required to support panel zero, so that work is still ongoing, even though, as noted in the documents that we've just released, uh, a lot of the um, on-footprint development of the levels 
um, the three levels, extraction, undercut, and apex levels, largely largely complete. Uh, and and so you know that um, that development on footprint is largely is largely complete. That it, you know the pieces that are re required before first draw bell. Um, and so we continue to work on the materials handling system, and we will continue lateral development work uh, to support the ongoing development of the mine, essentially. Um, and you know, obviously, there's other work going on as well that supports us getting um, beyond uh, the panel zero uh, production rate, and and that includes mining of conveyor, the conveyor to surface decline, you know, which uh, which is progressing well this year, um, and then also uh, shaft three and four. That work continues as well. Okay, just to follow up on that, Joanne, just on the shaft, on the shaft three and four. I mean, just looking at the diagram in the presentation, the late delivery of those does that impact the mining rate of panel zero, or is it more an impact on how fast you could ramp up panel two or one, whichever one comes next? Yeah, so I mean it's a good question. And panel zero uh, production can ramp up without um, shafts three and four. Uh, and you know we continue, as we've noted, we continue to see COVID um, travel restrictions uh, impact travel, uh, which means it's it's been challenging to get um, specialists to site. And you know I acknowledge all of the hard work of the teams. Uh, uh, in Mongolia and, and offshore teams to uh, try to get people back into site and you know we're making good headway on uh, resuming regular flights where we can get specialists um, uh, the specialist numbers up further to support that sinking uh, so you know um, we probably should note that panels the panels can be mined independently so there's not necessarily a technical need the uh, continuous mining from panel zero to the other panels. Um, and first sustainable production for panel zero is on track. Uh, we are continuing to monitor progress as you would expect. Uh, and we'll communicate any implications, particularly for panel one and two ramp up, which are three and four support uh, at an appropriate time as the information uh, materialises. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Just one final one, probably for Luke, I guess. Just on the CapEx guidance for this year, I noticed in the quarterly you've sort of broken out the underground CapEx into sustaining. Just sort of understand what that actually, the difference between the two is and how should we break up the sort of billion dollars for this year? Steve, do you want me to handle that one? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So um, the 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 sustain the the sustaining capital guidance that sort of separately um, noted in the guidance is for the open pit. Um, the underground the underground um, guidance that was issued for 2021 um, includes an amount you know related to to um, development capital. So this goes back to um, you know the, the the work that needed um, that needs to be done to to deliver um, sustain, sustainable first production um, on the underground for panel zero, and then there's also some work um, that's more of a sort of um, uh, we call it underground sustaining capital, which um, a lot of it relates to the progression of panels one and two. 
Okay, so there's a material part of those billion dollars? Is it sort of similar breakouts we've got in that quarter, or how do we think about it? Uh, no, the majority, the, the 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 large majority of it. Sorry, um, Hayden, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but the large majority of that number relates to underground development capital, which is the you know the 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 capital that's need to needed to deliver Panel Zero sustainable first production. Okay, terrific. Thanks for that. Uh, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Hayden. The next question is a follow-up from Oris Wakadao at Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Yes, hi. Thanks for taking the follow-up. I'm just curious again on first draw bell expectations. What What is the current expectation there? And it, it does sound like you're getting fairly close with respect to the actual physical work required to be able to do first draw bell. But are, it, like, are we still expected that this could get put on hold um, for, waiting essentially for some of the non-technical aspects to get sorted out before first draw bell will happen here? Yeah, that's a good question, but I can reassure you that we are all focused to make sure that the non-technical, I agree, technical aspect, that that's, that's easier if I, if I, if I can say, uh, if I can say it this way, but on, on the non-technical aspect, we are definitely working hard, every every shareholders or every every stakeholders to make it make it happen. And I don't see I we are on target. We're working on these issues, and that uh, I don't see uh, uh, definitely at the moment anything that would uh, divide or change that date. Okay, and and that date is what right now in terms of best estimate? John, would you remind me that date? For the first draw bill? Yes, no problem. No problem. Yeah, so we don't, we haven't uh, disclosed the first draw bill date in this current uh, uh, piece of uh, piece of work. But what we do talk about is quite meaningful, which is sustainable first production in October 2022, which is when we really start drawing the cave, and undercut blasting um, is in is planned for June 2021. I see. Okay. Um, and then just on the power, um, certainly there's, it seems like the, the power plant's being pushed back a little bit here, but it, is it your expectations that the costs for power are going to be roughly similar to what they currently are in terms of imported power? And, and have the mm. costs of purchasing power domestically, is that already included in the definitive study cost estimates released last year? Yeah. What, what, if, um, uh, unless Luke has a, a detail on that one, I, I must say that I, RSI, I don't have a detail on that one at the moment. Okay, what would be the cost between the different alternatives? Didn't get time to uh, do it on the last last five days. But Luke, do you have more detail on that or? Yeah, listen, I can try. I can I can try to provide a bit more detail. So okay, go ahead. I mean, as people on the call would would know, we signed an amended an, an amendment to the power sector framework agreement back in June of 2020, and under under the uh, that that amended agreement, the the agreement was to prioritize prioritize a state owned state funded power plant. So um, the estimate that you know I, I, I've just sort of summarized around um, funding gap liquidity etc they, they assume a state owned state funded power plant um, 
the amended PSFA also has some fallback options. So in an event that, um, you know, the state fund, state owned state funded power power plant for whatever reason, if it were, if it weren't to not happen, there are fallback options in that amended PSFA document that include, you know, grid supply, um, include uh, a, a renewables option and also a coal based an OT-based coal-fired coal power plant. But, but those alternative options don't form part of the sort of base case estimates for, for funding gap and liquidity um, that I talked about earlier. Um, there are some milestones in the, in the PSFA. Um, the first of those milestones was um, related to an extension of the current IMPC contract. And that milestone was actually the first of Mar March, so we just passed it. Um, the government of Mongolia did um, formally notify OT and Rio um, late February that the Tabentovoy, um, that this, this um, state-owned, state-funded power station project um, will be implemented, connected to the central energy system and operated under a unified low, low dispatch control. Um, so there's, there's still some work to be, um, be done, obviously, and the government of Mongolia suggested that you know, all the milestone dates under the PSFA amendment agreement um, should be reconsidered and extended. Um, OT is engaging with the government of Mongolia in relation to that and, and hopefully to agree a, a standstill period um, following the lapse of that 1st of March milestone. Um, during the standstill period, OT would exercise, we wouldn't, you know, wouldn't exercise its, its right to select and proceed with an alternative power solution but would be waiving it, but, but also would not be waiving its right to do so in the future. And, and you know, there, as you can appreciate, there are discussions that, that, are, that, are, that are underway in relation to all of that um, to work out, you know, the reasonable pathway forward on power. So that's, that's kind of the update on, on, on power that I'm, I'm able to provide. I hope that's helpful. Well, I, I'm not sure, I appreciate the caller, but I'm not sure you actually answered my question. What is assumed in the definitive uh, estimate that was put out in December? Does it assume uh, imported power? Does it assume the purchase power from Talbot Toyway? I just, what is assumed in the cost estimates, operating cost estimates, life of mine? I, we may have to go back and double check that actually. Um, I, I, believe, I believe that those estimates assume um, sourcing of power from, from within Mongolia under the options in the, 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 the PSFA, but we, we may have to take that question away. Um, Joanne, unless you happen to remember off the top of your head, that's my recollection at least, but we may have to take that question away. Yes, I can help Luke. Um, it's that, you know, there was certainly was a, a, um, a consideration of the uh, current agreement uh, for supply um, as and um, as I understand it, a a switch to uh, an in-country solution. Uh, so I I can't exactly say when that changeover was in the modelling, but I understand uh, as I understand it, they were both considered in that uh, estimate, and and there was a changeover time between the two. So I guess I guess on that one we'll have to get back to you and, and probably give you a bit more guidance in terms of timing of the current contract when it when it expires and what is assumed. We'll uh, 
we'll do a follow-up on that. Okay, thank you. Okay. The next question comes from Ralph Perfidi at 8 Capital. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for taking my question, uh, and uh, welcome back. Good to morning, you. Ralph. Yeah, take care. Thank you. Uh, Luke, maybe this is a, a question for you on uh, potential tax assessment risk going forward. Um, and um, basically, you know, when do you file the 2019 taxes? When do you file the 2020 taxes? Are these sort of based on North American corporate standards? And, and, and do you have a, an estimate based on the Mongolian tax authority methodology on what tax, those tax assessments could look like? And is the intention to partially pay those down? And could we see those before the third quarter of 2022? Luke, you want to go ahead? Yep, yep. Um, so let me let me try and answer the second part of that question first. I mean, in terms of the timing of of, of our tax our tax filings in Canada, that that would just as that would just be as per the sort of normal course stuff. Um, it would be it would be similar in in Mongolia as well. Um, in, in terms of the actual tax assessments in Mongolia, um, they, they've, we, we've received a, a, a tax assessments for period 2013 through 2015 and period 2016 through 2018. So um, you, you, you could expect, um, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the next audit to, to start, you know, um, you know, in due course over over you know, subsequent periods, so, so, so 19 and 20. I'm not sure of the exact timing of, of when that would start, but you would expect, obviously, um, those periods to be looked at in normal course as well. Um, so in terms of, of the actual payment of, of tax, um, you know, OT pays in the normal course all, all of the tax that, that, that it believes it owes. And then, in, and then there are obviously the outstanding assessments that are the subject of the current international arbitration. Um, in relation to the 2016 to 2018 tax assessment, we have paid the amount. Um, so those are the, the, those are the payments that have been recently made, the 230 million that was discussed previously. Um, those, those, those invoices were received by OT and, and have been paid by OT now. Um, in terms of, you know, the overall international arbitration um, process, that, that process still continues. Um, it will continue over the course of 2021 and into 2022. Um, we, you know, we still are quite conf um, confident in the company and OT's position um, around the outcome of those international um, arbitration proceedings. And, and, you know, so we, we, we do, we do um, cont continue to, to um, feel quite positive about um, a favorable outcome in due course. Fair enough. I got it. So, okay. Yeah. So, Ralph, I, I would just summarize that our, uh, we're paying our tax and we pay the amount that we're, we're uh, based on the understanding that we have of the tax law in, in Mongolia. And like Luke mentioned, I mean, the amount are in arbitration, uh, in arbitration at the moment. The law force us to force us. That's the wrong word. By law, we have to pay uh, to pay these amounts uh, of these uh, uh, right away. Okay, so there's no uh, there's there's no there's no delay because we're in in this agreement. So when they make an assessment, we have to pay right away, and then we we, we go to arbitration or we uh, debate it. 
And that's, that's why, from my point of view, we're in arbitration. We believe these, uh, we have paid the right amount of tax and we will see. So uh, that's why in, in, in any calculation, you have to be careful to make assumption that we will have these, these, these changes. I mean, from our point of view, we're paying what we're supposed to. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Luke. Okay. Thanks a lot, Raf. Nice seeing you, by the way. Nice talking to you. Thank you. The next question comes from Miles Alsop from UBS. Please go ahead. Thank you. Just a couple of things I want to clarify. First of all, um, with the undercut in June, is there any flex to that uh, to get to first sustainable production in October, or every month that the undercut is delayed, if it does get delayed, would result in a month's delay to first sustainable production? That's the first question. Miles, I've got problem to hear. Joan, can you uh, can you handle that that question, please? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Miles. Uh, in terms of what will happen between the undercut blasting, uh, you know, the commencement of the undercut and first sustainable production, there is a, a sequence of events, if you like, that need to happen. So, you know, we need to progress the undercut. Um, and create uh, a, a shadow for uh, drawbells to be uh, constructed uh, underneath. And, and we need to get then enough drawbells constructed to reach uh, critical hydraulic radius, at which point we say we've, um, we've got to sustainable first production. And so there is a sequence of events that needs to happen. Uh, there may be some sort of flex between um, how much is done, you know, depending on timing, but in general, it is a sequence of things. So it is important to consider that when we're thinking about um, what happens in between those two dates, if that makes sense. Okay, well, that, that's helpful. And who, who makes the decision about the undercut? Is that the OT board, or you know, how much influence does Rio have in terms of the timing of that if it's all uncertainty? Join on that one. Yeah, sure. And so the the intent is that the OT board would approve, mm. uh, would ultimately approve the um, the start of undercutting, and that uh, you know TRQ would also follow its own governance processes um, uh, with its board uh, prior to that. And and so it is it is a decision taken at the highest levels of the organisation. Okay. But ultimately, um, ultimately, Miles, this is a decision of OT board. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay that makes sense. And then with um, the 2.3 billion dollar uh, funding gap, um, could you give us a sense? I mean, is that you, you mentioned you assumed higher copper and gold prices. Um, how much higher are those copper and gold prices versus the put option and support level? Are they meaningfully higher, close to spot, or you know, how um, how much risk is there around 2.3 if you know in a very volatile commodity price environment? Mm -hmm. Luke, I think you can you should you, you can answer that one. I will do my best. Um, so yeah. the the prices assumed in our base case um, 2.3 billion are they're based on on kind of consensus pricing at at you know proximate to the reporting date. So so 31st of December. 
Um, obviously, the, the the price, the spot current current spot price for copper is 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 higher than than you know what consensus price would have been on the 31st of December. So if you if you assume if you assume spot pricing, you you know as a sensitivity, you may have you know that that would improve the liquidity position. It would improve um, from that perspective. Um, the hedging program, we haven't, we haven't provided a lot of um, details around what the floor is, and I don't think I can get overly specific, but I, to answer your question, I, um, if I remember correctly, um, I, I believe um, the, uh, the, the, the floor is, is it, 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 it provides um, downside price risk um, protection of, of, of uh, basically 10%. I think it's about 10% of the base case. So, so um, from, from that perspective, you know, we're, we're, we're shielded from any sort of downside pricing risk for copper and gold, um, you know, uh, more than 10% from the base, case, that, that, that base case, if that makes any sense at all. Okay. Well, that, that helps. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's then one, one other um, question, if it's uh, there's been a change in the Mongolian tax law at the beginning of January, and then there's been some talk about thin cap rules and debt equity three to one. And how is that a concern for yourselves, or you know, why is it not a concern? Okay, well, I cannot, uh, I don't, cannot get exactly. You're talking about change in the tax, uh, the tax. Yeah, so the change in Mongolian tax regulations and uh, oh, yeah, how okay. are tax rules uh, an issue potentially. I, I really have no idea, but there's obviously chatter in there. Yeah, Luke, you would have a you would have a, a, a comment on that. Um, so, so the the three to one um, debt to equity, um, we've already been we've already been operating under that assumption. So I'm not I'm not sure. Specifically, um, what changes to Mongolian tax law you're, you're referring to? We do have a very strong, um, you know, tax team at the OT level that will obviously be all over that, and will make sure that we, we, um, you know, we, 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 we maintain compliance from a tax perspective, and we continue, we continue to pay the amount of tax um, that we owe, as, as we always strive to do, and in. All in, in Mongolia and all of the, the jur jurisdictions in which we operate. Um, around the thin, the, around that um, thin cap point, I, I don't, I don't believe it's an issue at this stage. And 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 we were always, we were always operating under the sort of three to one um, debt to equity ratio anyway. So, so I think, I think, um, hopefully that that helped answer the question. We can we can follow it up with more detail if we need to. Um, but but um, no issues have been highlighted to me. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We have reached the end of our Q&A session. I will now turn the, the call back over for closing comments. So, Roy, are you uh, making any comments? Sorry, guys, that's my first one. So, Roy, do you have any comments additional, or should I just make one? No, we are, we are good to end the call, Steve. Yeah, okay. But I, I would say, uh, can I just make a comment? Thank you very much, guys, uh, for, for the call. Uh, and uh, I'm sure in the next couple of weeks, we'll have time to, uh, to discuss and, and uh, have a call, uh, individual call with you guys. Okay, thank you very much for the call.
Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.